Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 21st. In today's news, senators make their final pitches in Iowa before being sequestered in Washington for jury duty. The gun rights protest in Richmond stays peaceful. And the head of the IMF warns at Davos of growing parallels with the 1920s. But first, the big idea. President Trump's defense team is maneuvering behind the scenes with Senate Republican allies to ensure that former National Security Advisor John Bolton does not testify publicly during the impeachment trial if four Republicans join with Democrats in voting to call witnesses. One option being discussed, according to a senior administration official, would be to move Bolton's testimony to a classified setting because of national security concerns. The point would be so that the American people couldn't see it. To receive the testimony in a classified session, Trump's attorneys would have to request such a step, and it would probably need the approval of 51 senators. But that proposal, being discussed among some Senate Republicans in recent days, is seen as a final tool against Bolton becoming an explosive figure in the trial who would be able to verbalize some of the more damning evidence bolstering allegations that the president abused his power. Republicans involved in the discussions say that they're also looking for ways to throw up as many legal roadblocks as possible to stop witnesses who could hurt the president from being able to appear. Trump said last week that he will assert executive privilege if there's a bipartisan vote to call Bolton. And the White House has indicated in conversations with GOP lawmakers that it could appeal to federal courts for an injunction that would stop Bolton if he refuses to go along with their instructions. A new CNN poll finds that 69% of Americans, including many Republicans, want to hear from witnesses during the trial. A slight 51% majority of the country says the Senate should vote to convict and remove Trump from office while 45% say senators should vote against conviction and removal. Later, late yesterday afternoon, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell finally released the text of the ground rules that will guide trial proceedings, which start today. The Kentucky Republican has been holding them very close to the vest, and they're clearly designed, when you read them, to wrap this trial up as quickly as possible, or as quickly as he believes is really politically tenable. He's looking to fast-track the components that are most problematic for the president. To wit, each side gets 24 hours to make its opening arguments, starting Wednesday afternoon. But McConnell is compressing it into two session days. It's unclear whether Democrats would press to use all of their time, but if they do, making the case against the president could continue well past midnight when people aren't watching. After the House managers and Trump's lawyers make their case— Senators will then be allowed 16 hours to question the opposing sides. After that, both sides will debate for a maximum of four hours on whether to consider subpoenaing witnesses or documents at all, followed by a vote on whether to do so. If a majority of senators agree, then there will probably be motions from both sides to call various witnesses. Republicans will want to call Hunter Biden, for example, with subsequent votes on issuing each individual subpoena. The McConnell resolution also allows Trump's team to move at any time to dismiss the charges 
Although it's not explicitly mentioned in the four-page measure from McConnell because doing so is allowed under standard impeachment trial rules. Under the McConnell plan, the Senate trial also won't automatically admit evidence from the House process. That's a big break from the impeachment trial of Bill Clinton 21 years ago, which McConnell says is the model he's following. Though the material will be printed and made available to senators, it won't be admissible unless a majority of senators vote to approve it. This resolution infuriated Democratic senators, with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer calling the document a national disgrace and accusing McConnell of shrouding testimony and rushing the trial as part of what he calls one of the worst cover-ups in American history. The proceedings today will formally begin at 1 p.m. with a debate over the McConnell resolution. The impeachment managers and the president's lawyers will have an opportunity to debate the proposed rules, while Schumer is expected to offer changes to the measure that would allow the Senate to call several witnesses desired by Democrats at the outset. Democrats could also push for more than one vote on witnesses and documents. But McConnell's lieutenants express confidence to us that all 53 Republican senators will stay in line today and support his rules as written. Once those parameters are set, the formal arguments will begin. Yesterday, the seven House prosecutors and the president's team of defense attorneys did walkthroughs on the Senate floor, and both sides also filed dueling legal briefs. Trump's legal team argued over 171 pages that the two articles of impeachment against Trump, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, are structurally deficient and urged senators for an acquittal because it's a, quote, rigged process. In their own 111-page brief, the House laid out its case against Trump. The White House insists there was no underlying crime here, so he can't be impeached, even though that's not the standard in the Constitution. And Democrats are now responding that the Government Accountability Office opinion that was released last week showed Trump withholding aid appropriated by Congress broke the law. With the GAO report and all the information that was turned over by former Rudy Giuliani associate Lev Parnas over the last few weeks, the White House is now advancing a fairly novel legal argument that the senators are only allowed to pay attention to evidence that the House had in its possession when it voted to impeach on December 18th. And the White House announced the names last night of eight House Republicans who will formally be part of Trump's defense team. They will make his case not on the Senate floor, where McConnell has told the president he does not want them mucking up his carefully laid plans, but on cable news as official representatives of the president. The eight Trump loyalists are Representatives Doug Collins of Georgia, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, Jim Jordan of Ohio, Debbie Lesko of Arizona, Mark Meadows of North Carolina, John Ratcliffe of Texas, Elise Stefanik of New York, and Lee Zeldin of New York. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Tuesday. Number one, I'm coming to you this morning from Des Moines. My hotel room has a beautiful view of the Iowa State Capitol. It's still pitch black here, but the Capitol is beautifully lit, and it's kept me company as I worked through the night. I covered rallies and other events here over the MLK weekend for all four of the senators who were seeking the Democratic nomination. The caucuses are two weeks from today, and this was their last clear chance to speak to voters before essentially getting stranded six days a week in Washington ahead of the caucuses. Bernie Sanders said at a town hall last night in Des Moines that only God knows how often he'll be able to get back, and he asked his army of supporters to step up in his place. He also announced that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a member of the squad, will hold rallies on his behalf around the state later this week. Elizabeth Warren was wistful, 
She said after an event at a middle school just south of here that we need a democracy like the kind she's experienced with the people of Iowa over the last year. She said this process has changed her and it's strengthened her faith in what we can still do in a democracy. She said she hopes to keep her campaign growing even if she has to be in D.C., but she acknowledged that it's hard. I'll do my best, she said. Amy Klobuchar lamented during her own rally on Sunday night in Waukee when it was 20 below with windchill outside that it is her lot in life to get forced to return to D.C. when she feels like she's finally getting momentum on the ground. She got endorsements that day from the Quad City Times in eastern Iowa, and the New York Times jointly endorsed her and Warren. Klobuchar recalled poignantly how her mentor and political hero, Paul Wellstone, had multiple sclerosis during the final year of his life. He had long run around in parades, but at the end, in the months before he died in a plane crash in 2002, he couldn't run around anymore. So he stood on the back of his bus as his volunteers ran around. Klobuchar asked her supporters to run around for her in Iowa like those volunteers ran around for Wellstone. Sanders, Warren, and Klobuchar have all raised enough money to be able to charter private planes to ferry them out here from D.C. for events on Sundays when the trial will be in recess. They're planning to be in session on Saturdays. But Michael Bennett, the Democratic senator from Colorado, who is still running for president and was also here in Des Moines yesterday, doesn't have enough money for a charter. He said that he would appreciate it if one of the other three would let him join them on their plane. But he said he's keeping his focus almost entirely on trying to exceed expectations in the New Hampshire primary a week after Iowa and said he doesn't know that he'll make it back to Iowa after an MLK Day appearance yesterday at a forum to discuss issues of importance to African-Americans. Number two, thousands of gun rights advocates descended upon the Virginia Capitol yesterday in Richmond carrying weapons and flags, but thankfully no violence materialized. Armed militias carrying assault-style weapons marched in formation until the crowds grew too thick. Protesters without firearms filed through 17 metal detectors at a single entrance to Capitol Square, where Governor Ralph Northam has temporarily banned weapons, and they cheered fiery speeches about the importance of the Second Amendment. Intelligence from law enforcement about outside threats had put Virginia officials on high alert and led to a massive police presence. The crackdown also made the Democratic governor a symbol of the country's cultural and political divide, at least for the day, as evidenced by harsh signs yesterday depicting him as a tyrant, radical Ralph, and several signs photoshopped him into a Nazi uniform. Inside the white columned Capitol, the halls were strangely quiet as lawmakers went about their business. Young pages were given the day off because there was concerns about safety, so there was a skeleton staff but a beefed up police presence. Public safety officials said there were about 16,000 protesters based on how many blocks of street and sidewalk were filled. Rally organizers claimed they had twice that many. Authorities reported no major incidents and only a single arrest. A 21-year-old woman was charged with wearing a mask and refusing to take it off. Officers did remove a homemade guillotine that had been set up on the street and inscribed with the words, the penalty for treason is death. In a rare clash, a man who said he was a shooting survivor confronted a teen carrying an oversized long gun. Why do you need to have that gun, the man demanded. A small contingent watched the two argue. They eventually shook hands and walked off peacefully. The rally followed another weekend of gun violence across our nation. In Hawaii, a shooting left two police officers dead at a Honolulu home that went up in flames with several others, including the suspect and two more unaccounted for. In San Antonio, an assailant shot and killed two people and wounded five others inside a nightclub. The 19-year-old shooter was later arrested and has been charged with murder. 
in Kansas City, Missouri. A gunman opened fire on a line of people waiting to get into a bar, killing a woman and wounding 15 others before an armed security guard shot and killed him. Number three, the global economy is expected to stay strong in 2020, but the International Monetary Fund is warning of eerie parallels to the 1920s. Trump arrived overnight at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. The IMF, which helps host this gathering, predicted yesterday that global growth is expected to hit 3.3% this year. That's up from 2.9% last year, which was the worst year for the world economy since the Great Recession. But uncertainty remains high as top business and political leaders gather in a ski chalet town in the Swiss Alps. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva warned that the record or near-record levels of wealth inequality in the United States, the United Kingdom, and many other parts of the world, combined with the rapid advancement of technology and automation, feels a lot like the 1920s, which she emphasized ultimately led to financial catastrophe. The IMF is pleading this week with countries to use this time now, while unemployment is low and growth is decent, to address bigger structural problems in their economies. Alas, no one is really listening. Sanders and Warren aren't attending the annual gathering of global elites and billionaires, but the two are hot discussion topics at Davos, so is climate change. Leaders of large corporations are eager to show that they're doing something about the world's biggest problems and don't need the sweeping policy changes that Sanders and Warren are proposing. For the first time, climate action failure was the number one risk in an annual risk report from the World Economic Forum, which is based on a survey of more than a thousand business and political figures who are attending the conference. My colleagues on the ground report that there's an awareness that giving some money to foundations and charities is no longer sufficient. But few are committing to concrete solutions. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 21st. Thanks so much for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports, Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.